Well, hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the very first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management and so passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two, closing in on 100 episodes, and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Pamela Jabour, who is the founder and CEO of Total Image Group, a uniform designer and manufacturing company to some of Australia's leading brands, such as Dan Murphy's Ford Australia and Fantastic Furniture. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, China, Thailand and Hong Kong, Total Image Group has worked alongside clients nationally and internationally, and they strive on the sense of achievement in building your brand and working to ensure brand is leveraged to its full potential. Pamela started Total Image Group in 2005, straight after university, and to get the business started, she jumped on the phone and made 100 phone calls a day for 12 months before she won her first customer. Her business really took off when she was invited to quote for one of the largest retailers in Australia, who at the time had 30,000 employees. Pamela won the job, and immediately the business began to grow further as other brands started to inquire about the products and services they offer. And today, Pamela oversees the team at Total Image Group as they dress over 300,000 employees daily around the country, and the business continues to grow and look at what the future holds. So we start the interview off by looking back at when Pamela first started Total Image Group. We speak about the lessons she has learned as a leader and how she's developed the type of culture she believes in. We also take some time to talk about how the business looks at performance of its leaders through a management accountability plan, and we finish the interview by talking about the challenges that Pamela can see ahead for her industry. So keep listening. As always, really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Pamela Jabour, founder and CEO of Total Image Group. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Welcome, Pamela, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it so that the listeners have a bit more of an idea. Can you share a little bit about uh, who Pamela is and uh, where you work now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am Pamela Jabour, the CEO and founder of Total Image Group. Um, I started the company straight out of uni at the age of 21, 14 years ago. Um, and the idea was to bring a bit of fashion into uniform. So we're, we're a uniform company uh, and we work across various verticals, healthcare, retail. Uh, and at the time, 14 years ago, there was no one really selling or promoting fashion forward fit for purpose uniforms. Um, and I'm really passionate about fashion. Didn't want to directly get into fashion. So decided to get into fashion via uniforms. And we now um, dress over 300,000 people a day. I have 40 employees um, and seven managers who report directly into me. Um, and yeah. Wow. So talk to me about a little bit of a interesting fact that people might know about, uh, might not know about you and Total Image Group. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when I first started the company, I was really young. And so my title was sales assistant. So for the first 10 years of the business, 
no one, I mean, staff knew, but clients actually didn't know that it was my business. Um, so I had a lot of surprised customers who are still who are still with us today. But when I did change my title to CEO four years ago, um, I kind of went on this self-promoting journey through the business as I felt I deserved um, the title. I, I promoted myself. But yes, a lot of my clients had no idea that it was my business. Um, and I did get poached quite a few times through those 10 years. And I would just say, oh, no, no, I'm really happy with where I'm at. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that would be a little interesting fact, I'd say. Okay, because it was um, – when I was introduced to you to come on the podcast, I, it was actually quite timely because I remember seeing uh, something either on one of my LinkedIn feeds or, or somewhere that uh, – the reason for your success was initial success was the amount of cold calling that you did. So when we first started or when I first started the business there, there was no client base and I was fresh out of uni. I'd just done a bachelor of business marketing. Um, so I'd had my, you know, business degree hat on and I wrote a business plan, but, and I started to think about the verticals that wore uniforms, um, how many staff they employed, where was it compulsory uh, and then I started to call them. Um, initially, it started as research just to understand the market, you know, being a good uni student that I am, I was. Uh, and then it kind of turned into, okay, this is how I plan to generate clients. And so continued cold call. I had a copy of the white pages printed by Vertical. I started with the club's hospitality industry and started to call all the local RSL clubs and ask them, you know, who they were buying uniforms from, what their budget was, that kind of thing. Uh, and yes, it, it took a while to, to close business through the calls. But as I was making those calls, I was definitely learning a lot about our industry and kind of putting plans together based on the information I was collecting. And I was forming a database, of course. Um, and yeah, 12 months down the track, we won our first client. It was a very slow, slow process. Uh, and I now know that uniforms in general, we have a very slow sales cycle. So it generally, even today, takes us 12 months to close a quote. Um, but yeah, back then I had no idea and I just kind of didn't even focus on the time and, and knew we were onto something through the calls. I could tell people were interested. Um, I'd done telemarketing through uni and it was a very different response. So I, my gut was telling me we were onto something good and to stick it out. Um, and I'm glad I, I followed that. I've got to say that's a, that's a, that's a long time to, to stick it out without a sale of uh, 12 months. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, <laughs> my comments to that, I, I get told that, I guess I didn't focus on the time. My gut was telling me I was onto something, but I was also really competitive and I just felt that if I won one customer, if I got one order, then the rest would follow. Um, and so I stuck to it. Wow. I've got to say that's a, that's a pretty good lesson for, for anyone who's in, in, in a sales context. I think, uh, you know, that, that, that commitment and that, that discipline of being able to follow through on that. Cause that's, uh, I think most salespeople would agree that's the bit they, they hate the most about the sales process is that, that cold calling. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for me, because I guess that experience through uni, that was the only job I could get. Um, I'd applied in retail stores. I'd applied in businesses to get a part-time job while I studied and I couldn't get a job. Uh, and so the only person that would hire me was a telemarketing firm um, and I would work through the evenings cold calling people's homes to sell raffle tickets and make commission off that. Um, and it was a very hard call. I did get hung up on a few times and yelled at. So in comparison, calling businesses uh, and not trying to actually sell something on the phone was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we, all, we all get those calls in the evenings now. But uh, yeah, that, yeah that, that was me. 
seventeen <laughs> years ago. <laughs> so, what, what what prompted you to? Uh, you, you mentioned the four years ago prompted you to, to to make the shift into officially becoming the the CEO and the the, the head of the business. What prompted that? Um, look, I, the business was growing and I really needed to step into a different leadership position and own that. I think one of the challenges I experienced, um, you know, A, being so young and not having really worked anywhere else uh, in a corporate sense um, was I, I, I wasn't sure, you know, I had to keep evolving and learning on the go and evolving and learning on the go. So when I started, I was quite young and strategically didn't think it was appropriate to call myself an owner. We always sold ourselves as bigger than what we were. I was leveraging off some of dad's team. Dad had a manufacturing business. And so his accountant would do my accounts, et cetera. Um, and I would, when I spoke to clients, say my accounts team, my marketing team. Um, and even if I was the marketing team, I still referenced a marketing team. <laughs> so I thought if I had made myself CEO 14 years ago when there was only two employees, um, we would have looked a lot smaller and I don't think people would have taken me as seriously. And to be honest, I don't think I'd earned it. Um, I felt that I had to prove myself um, to the industry, to my peers. As I hired, I felt it was the same thing. Um, being a young leader, I felt my team really respected that, you know, I, I didn't just come in and, and give myself that title. So it's, 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 it's interesting because your, your, your leadership lens is very much going to be through, through the eyes of your business. So what, what are you learning at the moment about being a leader in 2019? Uh, at the moment, it's, it's interesting. So for us, um, I would say as a business, it's been a tough year. Uh, the market's tough. The economy's tough. And we've had 14 years of, you know, you have challenges in business. And, and yes, we've had growth and non-growth years, but... Um, there was never really a, a recession claimed in Australia. We kind of skipped, skipped it with the GFC. We were quite lucky here. So one of the things I'm navigating now is how to navigate a business through a tough market um, and, you know, that, that level of uncertainty and, and the things we're seeing out there with retail being a big vertical of ours and a big, you know, target market and existing client base and, and how to make sure that we focus on the other growth areas. So just leading my team through, through that is, is something I'd say um, I'm working through. And then I guess the other side would be, you know, again, constantly restructuring my role. So it's really easy for me to get hands on. And, you know, up until last year, I, 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 I'm a first time mum, so I have a 11 month old. And so my other challenge this year as a leader was to, you know, really work on the business, not in the business and um, navigate what mum and CEO, you know, working full time with a baby, what that looks like. And, and I obviously couldn't give the business the after hours and before hours that I used to. So what, working through my rhythm um, and what that looked like has been a lesson I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of leader would you, how would you describe yourself as a leader? What type of leader are you? Um, look, I, we have to, I did this workshop um, with an advisory board I'm with on our values and, and what really resonates. And, and when I think about that, that really defines me as a leader. So I, I would say um, hard work, discipline, dr drive and passion. Um, and I'm still working on the, the hard work one um, purely because, you know, I, I kind of grew up that nothing good comes easy and hard work is good, but I'm trying to flip that from a health perspective to kind of create more balance and that, you know, work smart, not hard all the time. <laughs> so it's hard when that's your number one value. You're so used to kind of working really hard um, to flip that around. 
Mm. Yeah, it become, becomes a challenge, isn't it, when someone's – because I think yeah. there's a different aspect to leadership when it's you're working for someone else and when it's your own. It's, it's harder to switch off and it, it's harder to separate yourself from the business, I find. Yes, and, and I have to say one of the, the, one of the many blessings of, of being a first-time mum is that, that my baby, Lucas, forced me to switch off. You know, there's no option to check my email in the morning. He needs my 100% attention. Um, and when I come home from work, regardless of how stressful my day has been, um, I don't want to show him that. So, and I forget, you know, I, we, we have the silly faces and the, the kitty music's on and it's actually a great way to, to switch off and, and, and I was saying, um, again, to my advisory board that the biggest lesson I've learned through motherhood as a leader is we lose our inner child. You know, we grow up, we get so serious as leaders. And I come home and I'm often still wearing my CEO hat. Uh, but as a mom, it's so refreshing to come home and just leave that at the door and, and be silly and play silly games and dance with my baby in the kitchen or whatever it might be to shake off my day. Mm. Yeah, I always find it interesting when you, you, you talk to um, people in business that the, 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 the two sides of them. So if you ask them mm. to do silly things in front of other business professionals, they, they say, Oh no, no, couldn't do that. But you ask them to do silly things in front of their own children. And it's almost as though, Oh, of course I do. It's, it's this very natural thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's, it's funny. I, and, and to be honest, I, I've changed my leadership style and evolved over the years as well in that I'm, I'm a lot more transparent and real with my team. They know if I'm having a bad day, I'm okay to be a bit silly. I think um, they look up to you more when they know you're, you're human. And if I make a mistake, I'll share it with the team. Or if, I'd had, if I've had a not so productive day, I'll share it. Um, because I think sometimes or a lot of the time they look at you in this leadership position as you know, untouchable and scary and, and, and it's not motivating, I find. Um, I think it's, it's more inspiring and motivating to know that as a leader, you too make mistakes and you're human and you can be silly. Obviously, there's a line, <laughs> how silly, but I try very hard to, to break those barriers where I can. Hmm. Do you think you, you mentioned then that uh, you, you sort of changed and you've become more transparent? Do you, do you think your team have picked up on that 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 was a deliberate decision of yours or do you think they've just sort of viewed it as just a an organic sort of growth look that's a good question we've had a huge shift culture wise in our business and and i i made quite a few changes um again as we've grown and evolved as a business i put a lot of focus on culture and team and and the kind of business i want and the kind of people i want around me and i feel like that all really does stem from the top so we talk quite openly about the changes i i often talk um you know be it through a podcast or in an article about the changes i made within my business from a culture standpoint um and the shift and and i i speak to my team about it all the time because they can see the benefit we've got an awesome culture awesome team everyone wants to be here we all care uh, and you know a big we're a family business and so we understand that you know everyone has stuff going on and I'll share what's going on where appropriate and yeah I think they've, they've noticed that that shift for sure for those that have been around that long you mentioned about the importance of culture in in your business are you able to share with the, the listeners a little bit about what you how you describe your culture and how you came to that decision? 
Yeah, and, and I can come back to my leadership journey. So when I first started the business, I was 21 years old. Um, we won our first client a year in and then not long after that. So, and we define clients by how many employees they have client size. So our, our first client was rather small um, and then we won another client that had 300 staff and then not long after we won a client that had 30,000 staff. And I mean, that was like 600% growth and the shift in I had to hire fast, get a, you know make a lot of change within my business to be able to scale and service this client um, and I was young and, and obviously inexperienced and so I hired cheap if that's right like I, I looked at what I could afford from a salary standpoint and focused on salary as opposed to skills I hired based on skills not attitude um, I was very slow at letting people go even if they were toxic or not right because I was scared um, and so I made a lot of mistakes and and I focused so much on the growth of the business, which I needed to do, and spent very little time on team and culture. In my mind back then, they were just there to do a job. Um, and, and our business suffered as a result of that because we had a high turnaround. We had a, you know, not a great exit rate. So when someone left, it, they were quite negative. It, it wasn't a great, you know, exit. And, and obviously there were reasons on, on both ends. But um, when we took ownership for our part in that, I did a real review on culture and the importance of people. And, and for me, the, the importance of connecting with my people as well. Um, because a lot of advice I got through leaders was, oh, you know, as a leader, you can't be friends with your team. You can't have personal relationships. And I'm quite passionate and caring. So that was really hard to try and stop me from creating relationships. And the minute I walked away from that advice and just became true to my leadership style and, and made an effort to form relationships with my team uh, and care and focus on the culture, then I saw a real shift. So, um, and we did that by, you know, going through what, what's important to us, what do we look for when we hire. We very much hire attitude over skills because skills can be taught. Um, but our number one value here is passion. So if you love what you do or you get excited by it, uh, then we feel the rest follows. And so when we recruit or have people join the team, we look for that as a number one. Mm. Yeah, I think your point about hiring for uh, attitude instead of skill is really relevant because you can train and shape people however you need to with their, their, their technical side of what they need to learn. But if they have, doesn't matter how good they are, if they have the wrong attitude, it's just going to severely damage any sort of culture that you're trying to build in a, in a small business. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious about what the biggest myth about leadership is that you've come across in, in your journey. Um, so it was what I just said earlier in that um, you can't form friendships or personal connections as a leader. You need to be disconnected from your team. Um, and I, I heard that so often, um, you know, you're the boss, you're the CEO, they're not your friends, they're there to get a job done, don't form personal relationships, it makes managing people hard. And, and I really struggled with it because I respected um, you know, the people that were giving that advice and they were obviously leaders and had been managing businesses, et cetera, and I was inexperienced. But in my heart, it just didn't feel right. I didn't know how to work with someone and not have a relationship. And I guess the minute I became okay with my leadership preference and everyone has to do what works for them, um, but for me it was we're a family business, that's our culture. I want people to feel connected, feel a part of it, experience the highs with us, experience the lows and really care. And in order to find those kind of people, there needs to be a connection. Um, it became a lot easier. And, 
even if people have moved on from the business, we're still great friends and we've got that real positive history and memories of all the great things or stressful things we went through together. Um, and yeah, it's very much a big part of my leadership style now. Hmm. I'm, I'm always curious about the, the different, uh, frameworks, methodologies, tools, models that, um, business leaders use. Are there any particular models, frameworks, tools that you find really useful that you apply on a regular basis? Yeah, um, so I am obsessed with Vern Harnish scaling up. Um, I love his book and there's quite a number of worksheets in there that are very practical, really simple, and I've implemented them in the business. Um, an easy example is I'm big on accountability. So I have you know, eight managers that report in for me and we have a weekly management meeting. So something I took from that book was the importance of rhythm and regular meeting rhythm so that people are accountable you know, obviously there's meetings for meetings that are pointless, but if a meeting is, you know, set to a time, strict agenda, and and you're communicating clearly each week, it's made the biggest change. And Vern speaks a lot about the meeting rhythms. Um, and we have what we call management accountability plans, and we review them each quarter, and we talk about them each week in our meetings. Um, and that's something I took from, from his book, Scaling Up. Mm. It's a really simple one-page plan for the year um, with actual results-based goals for each quarter and we share them as a management team and we're accountable to that and if we don't achieve those goals or targets we explain why and, and it, that's really helped us push forward and, and kick some major goals. So each person has one of, the, of these managers has a management accountability plan how do they how do they respond to that level of accountability um, that's documented? Yeah, no, uh, so even just setting these meeting rhythms, so we have daily huddles as a team, um, every department huddles every morning. And, and so this was a big part of my culture shift change as well, implementing this, because as we grew, what, a lot of the feedback I got is we don't communicate throughout the whole business. People weren't understanding certain things and it's really difficult to send emails every day updating people. So we implemented this daily huddle, weekly management meeting rhythm and then the maps and all of those actions are about accountability. And we had a lot of resistance actually, a lot of negativity. It was really tough and it probably took about six months for everybody to settle and see the benefit of the map, the management accountability plan in the management forum and also the huddles um, because it's just so easy. Everyone it's five minutes or 10 minutes in depending on how big each team's huddle is and then you're back to work, but you're sharing. For new employees, the feedback we got from that was they loved it because it forced them to integrate. So if someone comes into the business, the first part of their induction is to sit in every huddle regardless of what department or if we hire for an interstate office, they phone into every huddle to introduce themselves and chat to the team. And it really breaks that first awkward <laughs> contact for a new employee. Is there any more depth you can go into to the, the, these management accountability plans? The reason I ask is that one of the things that we find in the work that we do is that sometimes it's very difficult for the leaders that we work with to make make what they do tangible, to you know be very clear about what their expectations are, what the results are, what the goals are they, they're, they're trying to achieve. So is there any tips you can share from your learnings around those in particular? Yeah, look, I think it's all relative to the role in the department. But, you know, obviously with sales, it's easy. There's a sales metric, but we also look at pipeline database um, and close rates and those kind of things. And then from a 
ops standpoint um, for us, delivery dates are key. So we look at, you know, and, and we'll set like a huge unattainable goal for where we want delivery dates to be. Um, and even our target now has become a lot more realistic because <laughs> the scary date doesn't seem that far away anymore. So uh, focusing on delivery dates, um, downtime for IT. So they're top level kind of performance based. But then because we're constantly growing and evolving, a lot of our quarters, even for the management team, are project based targets. So we might be rolling out a new software um, or a new CRM and every manager has an element to do with that project. So depending on where it falls in their quarter, their bits around that project sit. So they're, they're for our major projects company-wide as well. So it's not, there's a lot more we all do. We keep our map fairly simple and it's very top level big goals for each quarter, um, both project and numbers driven. Right. Okay. that helps. And I know you mentioned before that uh, you found this uh, year a little bit tough, and I think a lot a lot of uh, businesses have. What would you say is your biggest leadership challenge right now? Uh, so yeah, it would be navigating the tough market, keeping my team motivated. You know, a lot of our sales reps are down on budget, um, and and we're quite conservative with our budgets, so they usually hit them, um, and they, they hit them out of the park, so they don't just hit them. So to be down. Um, they're, they're not as motivated. We've, we've had a lot of clients um, pause projects or say they're coming back to it. So that lead time frustration is there. So for me, it's, you know, and, and as an owner, you get a bit stressed. And as a leader, you get a little bit stressed because it is tough times. And what does that mean? And looking at the numbers. So, you know, a challenge would be to, to keep being positive and, and, and managing your team and keeping them motivated. Um, and then I guess the other challenge was, to step out of the comfort zone and, and look at how we can do things different. So we've been doing things and we're always changing, but we've been doing certain things a certain way for a really long time. And I feel like I've just come out of that. I was a, a little bit lost perhaps two months ago because it was really tough, um, particularly with the kickoff to the year, the double election, the holidays. It was a really slow start. And then, um, you know, the trade China trade wars with Trump um, and we're in the rag trade for manufacturing the impacts of the US dollar. There's a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, Instagram and Twitter never impacted the political space as much as they have, you know, one tweet and the dollar drops. It's, it's um, incredibly difficult to navigate. So for me, it was just about resetting, giving myself that space. Um, to be okay with some of those challenges and, and we're coming out of the back of a really exciting regroup and re-strategy and um, we're doing some totally different things, which I can't share. But I guess my thing was I gave myself the space and time to, to feel a bit down about it or nervous, um, didn't react and thought it through, did some strategic days, which I, you know, you, you get so caught up, you don't often do strategic days. So we put strategic days in the diary. I sat for a day with my marketing manager, I did a day with my sales manager and we put some key strategies in place and we're already seeing the benefits of, of that regroup. I'm always fascinated when when leaders make decisions like that or, or, or learn something about themselves, such as, you know, they, they've got a bit caught up in it and they need to step back and give, give uh, themselves that thinking time. How did you go about that in, in, in a practical sense? So was it, Something that, oh, you know, we really need to stop. So let's just stop everything, schedule it into the diary. And regardless of what's going, we need to have these strategy days. Were you that direct about it? 
Um, I guess not. I, I, to be honest, from a, from a top end level, I, I'm quite fiery and passionate and my leadership style very early on was fast, very fast. And, and, you know, that worked and was great, but I also made a lot of mistakes because I reacted too quickly. So I learned early on, um, you know, I, I, I often say count to 10 and I literally mean that in every sense. So I never feel this pressure anymore to react instantly. It doesn't mean my brain isn't going a million miles and my brain isn't reacting, but to the outward world, to my team, to the business, they have no idea. And so I'll sit on my, the wheels in my brain going round or my reaction um, and count to 10 and, and take the time to, before I feel comfortable and calm and confident to, to navigate through. So I learned that really early on and I apply it to everything um, when I'm feeling that stress. Hmm. And when you, when you had these strategy days, you mentioned with your marketing manager and sales manager, was there any particular strategy templates that you used or techniques? Uh, no, actually. So with, with the sales manager, it was more around like analyzing our verticals, our margins, analyzing where sales were down, where sales could be. I've been to quite a few, um, economic forecasts and brought that data in, you know, obviously everyone knows retail's in a recession, but healthcare and education are doing quite well and are forecasted to be on the rise. There's markets we're already in. Um, so it was just about regrouping us sales and marketing strategy in alignment with that data. And it was not structured. So everything I do is very structured, but the point of a strategy day for us and was to just have the space to let our brain like step away from inbox, step away from a deadline and another meeting. You know, often they're, they're capped. Oh, we have to cap this in two hours. I have another meeting. So the idea of allowing a day was to just let it organically happen. And, and sometimes the best creatives can happen that way. What would you say is your area of leadership passion? What is it about leadership that uh, you love the most? I love inspiring people and motivating people. So I, I'm quite a high energy person and, and I often um, see if, uh, read through when someone's flat or down or, or not enjoying their role. So, so one of the favourite things I, I love about leadership is to be able to read that and turn it around or show some sign of care or talk to some of your experience or where you felt the same and, and just see that person light back up. Um, I, I, I say is really rewarding. I, I'd imagine that be the, the way that you went about building the business would enable you to really capitalize on your sales background to inspire your, your sales and marketing team. Yes. Um, so all the templates I set up, uh, you know, cause I, I, I managed all the accounts and, I set up agendas and structures for reviews and processes to keep keep clients on and review their range. And, and so all of that has followed through and everyone follows that template. Um, and one of the, the, the favorite things I love of my role is design. And so I'm still very much in the client space. And when a client comes in and wants a redesign or a relaunch, I go in from a consultant standpoint with an account manager and they get to work directly with me, see the design process, um, navigate that through. Uh, and that means if they go through a difficult point later on when it's BAU with that client, they can come to me and I'm across how it works um, and we can strategize and regroup and, and yeah, it, it keeps me in the loop of, of the business and how things are changing and client needs. And yeah, but our templates and all the, the things I set up when I started from a sales standpoint definitely are very much still in play. They've evolved and improved, but the core bits are there. So I'd like to talk a little bit about... Um the future what, 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 what does the future hold or what can you share about what the future holds for you 
as a as a leader and as a business? Yeah, look, I, for for me as a leader, it's hard to say. I'm really enjoying my role as CEO. I feel like it took a while to find my rhythm in that position. I was a very hands-on person having started the business and worked through all the various aspects. So it was really difficult to let go. Um, and so right now I feel like I've still got a few years where I can really drive this position and then perhaps there may come a time where I go back to being creative and hire a CEO. I, I don't know. I, I don't set long-term goals in terms of leadership because I feel like it'll naturally evolve and, and I'm open to that. Um, from a business standpoint, though, our goal is growth. Um, so we, we're looking to win major national contracts. We've got quite an aggressive marketing strategy. Um, yes, times are tough and, and a lot of companies cut back on marketing. We're ramping that right up. Um, and we're really excited about our pipeline for next year. We acquired another uniform business two years ago now, and it was really successful, hard work, but successful. So I'm also looking to grow via acquisition, um, and that's exciting because you learn every acquisition would be different, I'm sure. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to growth and, and just continuing to build the business. So well, one thing that uh, people often ask me is, is how big a business do, do, do we want to be? How big a business do you want to yep. be? Um, in terms of revenue, I'm, I'm, I debate this all the time. So, so for me, I, I think another 50% growth, like I, I'm comfortable to double, um, but, but no more than that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I think for me, I still want to have a hands-on role. No, the, I don't want to get so big that I'm, I'm not involved in, in a lot of it. Um, so, so we have 40 employees now. I, I think we could comfortably double or just under double um, and increase employees by about 10. And, and that, you know, that leaves us with 50 staff, which is comfortable for me. Um, and, yeah, but you, I, I, can't, I, I find it difficult to answer because I don't know that I'd turn away from – a bigger opportunity or a bigger revenue. It's a bigger challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. It's always, a, it's always a tricky one, isn't it? You sort of think you know where you're at, but then you think, oh, but what if that opportunity just came around the corner? I, and it's, I think from a, uh, from a profitability standpoint, growth is interesting. So you go through stages in your growth as a business where you were more profitable when you were much smaller. Like there's these leaps. So, you know, I think you've got the, when you hit your first million and then you go one to five million and then five to five to 10 and, and, you know, that mid 15 million size and then 30 million plus. And so when you read through business books and when you talk to advisors, you kind of look at that cycle and you know very quickly that you need to jump into that next leap, which is probably bigger than you want to be to start to get that maximum profitability for the size of your business. Um, but there's a lot of those uncomfortable parts where you can't justify hiring more people or you're overstuffed to your revenue, but you need it because you're in that growth stage. Um, so your, your net profit isn't as what it used to be, um, which absolutely fascinated me. I never kind of realized as I grew the business that perhaps you'd make less money <laughs> the bigger you got. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely that cycle of where you're sitting on that curve. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting uh, journey, isn't it? When you when you realise that uh, being big, uh, the, you know, people focus on the you know, these top line revenue, whereas they really should be focusing on the bottom line revenue. Bottom line. Bottom line profitability. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, 
Absolutely. And, and, that, and so for us, we've always been focused on bottom line, but it was still fascinating to me, the variance in bottom line and margin. And obviously the world has changed. So it's much more competitive. Like our margin 10 years ago was a lot higher than, than what it is today. So to be competitive, certain things have to change. Um, and, you know, it's just interesting to reflect back, look on all those changes and, and you know, what you need to do to get where you, where you want to be from a... So my goals for growth are always based on, okay, what does that mean net? What do I want to net as an owner? What do I want my business to be able to net, et cetera? Um, and then I plan my growth around that. I'm always fascinated with the way that uh, leaders view their own self-development. So how, how do you continue your development as a leader? Um, so I have a advisory board. So that's a big part of my personal leadership development. So um, it's made up of eight other women in business who own their own businesses. We meet mo- monthly and we talk quite openly. It's, it's, a, it's a set meeting. There's an agenda. So it's quite strictly run um, and it goes for four hours uh, and we get to talk about our businesses. We workshop, we develop our leadership skills. And for me, leadership was lonely. I, I didn't have many friends who owned their own businesses. I was 21 when I started. So I needed to work out where I was going to learn and and get inspo and feel supported and not so alone. And and that advisory board um, has made a world of difference. And you realize you're not the only business owner that goes through certain things. I think a lot of the time you think, oh, my business is so complicated. I'm the only one that goes through these problems. And then, you know, you sit in these sessions and you realize, oh, Yes, other people have courier issues or staff issues or whatever it might be. Um, but I'm also very big on business conferences, reading, um, attending seminars, uh, networking, and just putting myself out there to learn. And yeah, I, I do. I set a goal actually um, each quarter with the amount of workshops I want to sit in, the amount of seminars, the amount of networking events. And I review my goals around that personal development. Yeah, I'm noticing a real trend towards the idea of advisory boards. Yeah. There seems to be quite a few of them uh, being, or people on my LinkedIn um, community particularly that are suggesting that they really are a powerful way for leaders to self-reflect, share stories, learn about current industry trends. Absolutely. I, I, and, you know, at the end of the day, even if you do have friends in business or you, you talk about it with other people, when you're out over dinner or lunch, it's not, not many people want to talk about business or talk about the problems or it's very shallow. Like it may not be, someone may not give you an hour to sit and talk about your business issues. Um, and in this forum, you, you really do get that opportunity. Um, we'll have presentations where we get to do a SWOT analysis on our business and get feedback from other business owners on, as to where they see opportunities in your business, where they may be able to support you through contacts, connections. Um, but for me, the biggest thing is just sharing, feeling heard and learning through other people's stories. That, that power of that connection is, is really critical. Are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? Um, yeah, definitely. I look up to a lot of different leaders, but from a fashion and fashion business standpoint, um, you know, I, I love as an Australian designer, Colette Dinigan, her story um, and, and how she navigated the Australian landscape with retail and then took that abroad. Carla Zampatti is another one. Um, from a business standpoint, Henry Ford, I, I, I his quotes resonate time and time again. I'll, I'll be going through something and, you know, read his quotes and, and we work with Ford um, at 
actually they're one of our clients and the things he's put in place and that business um, in general, uh, we've dealt with the American arm as well. They've just got such a strong sense of culture and what they stand for. And, and I feel that it really does stem from, from you know, Henry Ford. Um, and it's awesome to, to be a part of that and witness that. And I get inspired quite often through, through our clients as well. Yeah, I think it's always interesting that people can draw inspiration from all sorts of different different sources, and uh, I think it's always fascinating to think about where are people drawing their inspiration from. Yeah, my favourite thing to do is, and and prior to even being on an advisory board, I still love to read a biography. So, um, you know, Shoe Dog, The Story of Nike. Um, I've read Diane von Furstenberg and just reading how other business owners or brands that you think, you, you look at Nike and you think, oh, wow, and then you read their backstory and it's so relative and, and you can learn so much through, through just reading, I find. Um, and, and it's definitely one I go to um, to seek inspiration and, and I've learned a lot from leaders through their stories. So if people want to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, where should they go? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you know, I'm also on Instagram or our company website, totalimagegroup.com.au has a bit about me personally and, and what we do as a business. Okay. And any last words on leadership that you'd like to share with the listeners? I would say leadership for me um, is always evolving. So I kind of remind myself of that when I'm having a tough moment or a day that, you know, it does evolve and you need to evolve. And sometimes you may not evolve as quickly as it's evolving around you, but you do get there. So leadership is always evolving would be my last words. <laughs> <laughs> well, on those, on those last words, thank you so much, Pamela, for being on the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up episode 95 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another great business leader episode for you. I would like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like us to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site, leave us a review, leave us a rating and subscribe. Really does help us build awareness of the podcast. Next week's episode, we have another great author interview for you, where I interview David Banger, author of Digital is Everyone's Business, a guide to transition. It's another great author interview episode. So until then, love to hear what you think and happy listening.